0: I'm sports journalist Sam Squires. Welcome to On Her Game. Meg Lanning is an absolute gun of Australian cricket. She's the captain of the Australian women's cricket team, a position she's held since she was 21. Actually, the first team she ever skippered was the Australian team. How's that for pressure? Meg continues to write chapters in the history books and adds to her incredible legacy every time she steps onto the cricket pitch. She holds the record for the most women's one day international centuries and has seen her team to so much success five World Cup wins, including this year's incredible T20 World Cup success in front of a record breaking 86,000 people at the MCG. We know Meg Lanning as a tough and formidable leader, but we don't often get to see the other side of Meg Lanning. Her teammates call her Serious Sally. But Meg has faced challenges in her journey too, times when she felt alienated and an outsider to her own team. Meg fell in love with sport, playing in the backyard with her younger sister, Anna.
1: I love the outdoors, playing any sport. Uh, there's five kids in, in the family, so there's plenty of people to
0: to five play kids. against.
1: How many boys, yeah. how many girls? Uh, three girls, two boys. Right. Wow. okay, cool. Um, so my younger sister, Anna, uh, she's born on the same day, uh, two years uh, behind, so we we actually... Sort of played against each other, but yeah, I just loved playing sport, watching sport, anything to do with it. I was I was there and involved.
0: Because Anna plays in the um, WBBL as as well. Were you two close growing up?
1: Yeah, we were close, and we still are now. Um, Obviously, she she plays cricket as well, and uh, we've played a lot together. So uh, it's been really nice to be able to share the journey with her, I guess, and uh, see her progress. So it's nice to have someone you know in every team. Uh, That was always a good thing. So. Uh, yeah, it's been nice to play alongside her and um, yeah, I'm sure there's a few more games left in us yet.
0: What kind of kid were you? Were you shy? Were you out there? You Were you competitive? What what kind of kid was Meg Lanning?
1: Yeah, I've always been competitive, no matter what it is, sport, board games, car games, anything like that. I I always <laughs> wanted to, to win uh, and that's no different now. Uh, I think I, I was pretty shy, and I still think t- like even today uh, I'm pretty sort of shy. And mm. until I sort of really know someone well or feel comfortable, I probably don't give too much away. Mm. Uh, so that's probably carried on through through my life. But yeah, I just I've, I've always been a doer. Like I just mm. like to get out there and try things and and be involved and don't have to talk to too many people. Just wanna wanna be active and and be part of it. Have you got any stories about your competitiveness when you were <laughs> when you were little? Uh, I just remember playing a lot of table tennis with my young sister Anna, and they would get the like the rackets or the the bats, whatever you call them, would be constantly thrown. <laughs> <laughs> Is that right? uh, yeah, one day I think we broke the kitchen window. It bounced off something and hit the window and, and cracked it. So that was the end of that. Mum wasn't too too pleased with that. Were
0: you like best of ten? No, best of twelve. Best of and kept going until you you won.
1: Yeah, pretty much. Mm. It was first to 11. And then if I wasn't winning, make it 21 and <laughs> until I can win. But uh, yeah, Anna was a pretty good competition because we were sort of pretty even with our mm. wins and losses. So it, it sort of kept us on us. So um,
0: you played in the backyard with Anna, but how were you introduced to cricket? How did both you and Anna have a love of the game?
1: I think initially it was through our dad. Uh, he watched a lot of cricket. He played mm-hmm. cricket himself, but he was always watching it on TV and we probably just sat beside him and, and watched it as well. So that was probably the first look we got at the game. And, and then secondly, it was the summer sport at, at primary school. So that was what was played at recess and lunch. And <laughs> I was the only girl playing at recess and lunch, but it didn't bother me one bit. And I just loved getting out there and, and playing. So that was probably the first introduction I had.
0: Why weren't the other girls playing? Why was it just Meg who was out there playing?
1: <laughs> I'm not sure. They weren't overly sporty, I, I guess. Um, and maybe they were a little bit timid. I you know, I know you know, for some girls playing in an all boys team is probably quite intimidating mm. and, and a barrier towards why they why they do it. But to me, I I didn't really mind it. You know, it was just <laughs> being able to play and be active and whoever it was with, uh, I didn't really care. Back then, did you like that element of
0: surprise where they thought, you know, back then that if a girl came in, then it was going to be an easy out? Did you like that element of surprise? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it worked in my favour a little bit, <laughs> I, I would think. Um, but once they sort of saw, I knew what I was doing, sort of, um, they sort of quietened down a, a fair bit, I think. And and I played in the boys' team all through high school, mm. really. And uh, I think it helped me because originally I was actually a bowler and um, they didn't want to get out to the girl. So they went <laughs> into their shell a little bit and, and just blocked a few. So it actually worked in my favour. Were there
0: any other sports? Were you just naturally sporty at all sports? What were your favourites? Um, and I also understand that you, you wanted to play hockey for Australia originally. <laughs> <laughs> that
1: was my original uh, ambition to play at the Olympics uh, playing hockey. <laughs> and I'd never played hockey before. That was just something that I wanted to do. I must have seen it on the TV at, at one stage. I think when I was growing up, the Hockey Roos were actually really successful, mm-hmm. sort of the Nikki Hudson era. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that probably played a part.
0: You wouldn't have seen much cricket, like, but Hockey Roos we saw everywhere because they're in mm. the Olympics. And Olympics, that was like every four years, that's really when you got to see women in sport, mm. wasn't it?
1: Yeah, that's right. So, you know, and obviously they were successful, so they got a bit of airtime as well, which mm. was good. Uh, and, yeah, for some reason I just remember, you know, hockey is a, a really cool sport for, for women, so that's why I wanted to do it. Having never played it or you know, looked at how, <laughs> how it actually happened, but uh, that was what I wanted to do. I think the, the lure of the Olympics um, was mm. probably something that played a part there and I actually had never played it until year seven, I think that was when I first got into it. I, I was playing AFL in the winter, that was the sport. That was with the boys as well and then that's we got cool. to to the age where it was a little bit rough and um, it sort of ended there pretty much. What age did you stop playing AFL? Uh, I would have been under 12s, I think. So I mm-hmm. played under 12s and then I, I finished up there because there wasn't really any girls teams back then. Mm. Uh, and then once you got to a certain age playing with the boys, you couldn't really keep playing. Did you know women played cricket back then when you when you picked it up? No, I didn't. I only remember watching men's cricket and and that's why my hero was Ricky Ponting growing up because that's sort of all I saw. Uh, Mm. I loved the way he played and uh, yeah, he was sort of the the person I wanted to to follow in the Mm. footsteps of, I guess, but I had no idea that there was women's cricket out there. I didn't even know there was sort of a a pathway program until a teacher came up to me in year five, I think it was, and said, do you want a trial for the, the regional girls cricket team? And I was like, oh, okay, I'll give it a I'll give it a go, but if he hadn't have come up to me and, and said that, I, I probably wouldn't have, have really started. So you made that regional cricket team. Was that when things started getting
0: serious for you with with cricket?
1: Probably, yeah. That was sort of the first real game of cricket I'd played. The captain of my team was actually Elise Perry. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right. uh, yeah, we played <laughs> a, a few regional years together. Uh, cool. So that was that was cool. She was a, a gun back then, so everybody was like, well, you know, <laughs> Elise Perry sort of thing. And I opened the batting with her a couple of times, so uh, that was a, a good introduction, I guess, to it. So uh, that was the first time I sort of, yeah, really enjoyed the contest, I guess, and and playing with other people. That was a bit of a star-studded team,
0: wasn't it? It was it or was an under-12s state team, New South Wales team. It was a bit of a star-studded team that you all went on to play for Australia together. Can you tell me a little bit about that team?
1: Yeah, I can. We were we were pretty good. We we won the national <laughs> championships. Uh, Elisa Healy was in the team as well. Uh, Sarah Coit and Reeks, um and there's a few others who played state cricket as well. So, yeah, we had a pretty star-studded lineup for the for the first year at least, and then um yeah, we've all sort of linked back up again in the Australian team.
0: You said that you were a shy kid, and then you had to go play with the boys throughout your your early on career. You played with the boys in your school's first eleven as well when you're in in high school. What was that experience like? Were the boys welcoming in that in that scene because they're not primary school anymore. These are mm. high school teenage boys. It's
1: a bit different. <laughs> <laughs> initially, um I think they were a little bit taken aback, but but to be fair, I, I played with the boys from year seven. So mm-hmm. when I went into the first eleven team, I'd already been playing with mm-hmm. most of those boys and against the other schools as well so it, that wasn't a new thing in in the first 11 it's probably year 7 and 8 when uh, it was sort of a new thing and hadn't been really done before that uh, there were a few eyebrows raised i guess mm-hmm. uh, but again once i got playing and was able to show that i knew what i was doing uh, mm. they were they you know were really welcoming and and you know i went to to Kerry and uh, all the boys there and the coaches there were were great they they really you know made me feel like i was involved and and part mm-hmm. of it and uh, i guess that initial experience made me keep playing through because yeah I felt like a part of the team and so that was yeah credit to the to the school I guess for firstly letting me do it because it hadn't been done before mm. and then yeah to have such a good environment to play in that I wanted to keep going. What was it like? Do you when you reflect back on that time in, in playing with the boys?
0: What did that teach you?
1: I think it was a really good challenge for me uh, mm. and it and it took me outside my comfort zone uh, mm. a fair bit. Uh, I certainly had days where I. Question: Whether I wanted to wanted to go to training or the game, because mm. I, you know, I felt a little bit uncomfortable, I guess. But yeah, you know, I think being able to push through that and find ways to deal with that, I guess, has has helped me um, deal with things today. Um, you know, trying new things, trying to push yourself a little bit further, and, and things like that, probably uh, came about from from that sort of part of my life. So yeah, you know, I, I look back on it and think it was such a great thing that I did. I really think it made a really big impact on where I am now.
0: You made your debut for Australia at just the age of 18. Um, That would have been an incredible, an enormous moment for you and one when you are essentially still very, very young. Can you take us back there? What was that moment like?
1: Yeah, it was in New Zealand. Uh, It was a T20 game, I think, and the first game actually got washed out. So me and Sarah Coit debuted together Mm -hmm. and we are all geared up to play our first T20 game and then it got washed out. So we had to wait a few more days before we made our debut. Uh, so yeah, I remember opening the batting actually. Mm-hmm. I was quite surprised I got picked to be fair. I thought I'd be going on the tour and being the drinks carrier and just sort of mm. seeing what it's all about, but I was thrown straight into it. So you never had that experience of doing that then? No, no. Wow. I've been very lucky. <laughs> <laughs> I've been very lucky to, to be playing most of the time. And yeah, I remember opening the batting. I think I hit a couple of boundaries and then I got out for 10 or 12 or something like that. Mm. So it wasn't a, an, uh, an amazing debut, but, uh, yeah, I think even still, it sort of yeah. I sort of felt like I was able to play at that level. Mm. Um, I didn't feel too overawed, which was nice. And uh, going into that that team, there was a lot of great players in there. So uh, I just wanted to sort of learn as much as I could and see what touring was all about because I hadn't really done it before. What um,
0: players were in there? What who was else was in that side? Some of the big guns.
1: Yeah, so Alex Blackwell was the captain. Cool. Uh, Jodie Fields was out injured at the the time. Uh, Lisa Stolera, Shirley Nitschke. Cool. Leah Poulton, Elise Perry, um, Elisa Healy as well. So we, we had a pretty good team mm. back as back then as well. My opening partner was Shelley Nitschke, uh, who's now mm-hmm. our assistant coach uh, at Australian <laughs> level. So uh, she was a great she was a great person to open the batting with. She she had my back the whole time. Uh, mm. There were a few um, teams who liked a little bit of a sledge and a bit of chit chat, and and she was always there to sort of give it back for me because I. As you can imagine, I'm not saying too much early in my <laughs> my career. I'm staying pretty quiet even now. So she was there to sort of uh, yeah have my back, which which, which was great. Um, and in terms of the
0: women playing more T20s and one dayers, uh, that was a that was a big decision and one from Belinda Clark, wasn't it? Um, early on in trying to to kind of revolutionise the women's game and move away from playing so many tests and move into the shorter format.
1: Yeah, and I think when you look at where the game's at now, I think it, it's worked. Uh, I think it's mm. been a really good driver for the women's game. T20 is very accessible. It's it's very exciting. It brings the crowds. People are interested. Uh, and as players, it's it's fun to play as well. It, mm. It's a great format. So, you know, although 50 over cricket has a, a place in in our game especially, uh, I think it makes total sense that T20 cricket is probably at the forefront and, and probably a lot more investment in that side of the game. But... Yeah, to, to have that foresight, I guess, from Belinda Clark to to think that that will be the really big fish, I guess, to to make the women's game move move forward really quickly. Uh, I think it's been a, a successful uh, decision and uh, we'll, we'll continue to do that over the, the coming years. Do you miss playing so many
0: Test matches or are you happy with the format, format now?
1: Uh, I really like the Ashes format, actually. Mm-hmm.
0: And for those who don't know, just with... Um, how many T20s and and then the one test?
1: Yeah, so the Ashes is made up of uh, three one days, three T20s, and one test match, mm-hmm. and then you get points for each uh, each game, and whoever you know gets the most points wins the series. So mm. there's there's a lot of you know every game has context and every game's on the line, which I think is great, and it gives you the chance to play a test match, which is really cool as well. So if we could replicate that against South Africa, New Zealand, India, mm. teams like that, I think that would be a really good move for, for the game but it's difficult to get nations to play test matches it, it costs a lot of money and I guess putting resources into that is not always possible so um yeah I guess down the track if we can get to that stage that would be great but mm. um still part of the ashes it's it's a great format and, and we always look forward to it
0: because you looked up to Ricky Ponting when um when you were young so you would have been looking up to him in test matches and and dreaming about your baggy green as well
1: yeah, absolutely. Yeah, as a young cricketer, the baggy green is the ultimate, I guess, and mm. and we don't get a lot of opportunities to to get it. I think I've played five Test matches in ten years, so mm. uh, you don't get a lot of chances to play, but it is still a really amazing experience. I remember the the uh, baggy green cap presentation for our most recent Test match., uh, we had three debutants, and it was amazing. I mean, I don't cry very often, but I had tears in my eyes during that presentation, <laughs> just the emotion I guess around it, and, Having a lot of people there who were, were supportive of, of everyone was was great. So, yeah, looking up, you know, looking forward and um, trying to get that baggy green, that, that's what you want to do as a kid. Did you cry when you were given your baggy green? <laughs> I didn't, no. <know. laughs> Belinda Clark gave me my baggy green. There wasn't cool. as many people there. The last baggy green presentation, we had like 50 people there. The Australian A team were there, all the fa- family and friends were there as well. So um, I think that all built up the emotion as well. You became captain at
0: a really young age. You were 21
1: when you became captain. Um, were you ready for that role back then? I don't think so. No. Knowing what I know now, uh, mm. definitely not. I hadn't done any leadership roles or, or been captain of any team previously, so I didn't have any experience to, to call upon, I guess, so... It really meant that I was making it up as I went along, to be <laughs> fair. Uh, learning on the job. I had some good experience around me. So Alex Blackwell was within the team. And she was the vice captain. So she was mm-hmm. she was a really good support. For me, the coach, Catherine Fitzpatrick, she was uh, a good support as well. So I had a lot of help. Uh, but once you're out on the field, you're, you're sort of alone in a lot of ways. You've got mm-hmm. to just make decisions and, and run with it. And I guess early on I worked out a lot of it is gut instinct and, and backing your sort of first thought and just really trusting that. And I suppose that builds over time, but I Mm. I sort of felt like that was, you know, important from, from the start. What was
0: it about Meg Lanning back then that saw them put you into that role?
1: I I think I had a good inner confidence, Mm. uh, and an ability to make decisions. And Mm. I think that's a really important part of leadership and it doesn't mean that.
0: On the pitch or off the pitch?
1: Well, both, I think. Mm. Uh, you know, I think as a leader, you need, you need to make decisions and that doesn't mean that you're going to get it right all the time. but I sort of feel like you're better off doing something about a situation and sitting back and letting it run and not doing anything. You don't mm. really know what what would happen. So I think that might have been it. I just sort of had a quiet confidence about myself and my ability, and did you take to that easily that leadership role? I think it took me a little while to work out what was involved. Uh, mm. Like on the field, I found the easiest part, mm. <laughs> really. Off the field was where I had no idea what I was doing. And I didn't understand what was involved in the role, to be honest. Mm. And, you know, I feel like I've worked out over time that the off-field stuff is actually probably a much bigger role mm. uh, than what the on-field stuff is. Uh, building relationships, understanding players, coaches, trying to get everybody to work together. Mm. All that stuff is really, really important and, and something that i probably found difficult in the first instance and something that I'm continuing to, to work on all the time because it's so important to making a team successful and and getting, you know, the, the outcome that you want. So the on-field stuff for me is just sort of gut instinct and, and going mm. on what I feel at the time, whereas off the field is you got to make sort of a conscious effort to to try and get the best out of everyone and, and that's the challenge. Are there any stories or mistakes um, you want to give us a bit of an insight
0: into, into... Um, you know, your leadership style back then that you would change, um, with knowing what you know now with hindsight and experience, I guess.
1: Yeah. I think it's just about listening to other people's opinions a little bit more and, and understanding Mm -hmm. that not everybody sees the world as you see it. Uh, (laughs) and you've got to respect that, I guess. And I think early on, um, you know, I sort of had a bit of tunnel vision going and I was like, well, this is how I see it. So why, why don't they do this? Or why are they thinking this sort of thing? And over time you sort of work out that everyone sees things differently and it's actually a really good thing to embrace those views and and beliefs and i think over time i've worked out that um you can you can delegate and give other people responsibility and ownership of things and and that actually gives a much better result to the team you know as captain originally, I, I think I probably felt like I had to take the lead all the time. I had mm. to do everything. And that's actually not the case. Mm. Uh, you get a much better result from the team if you give them a little bit of ownership and, and feel like they're making some decisions. That's when that's when you get the best out of people. So I think that's sort of an area of, that I've changed over time.
0: So you were 21 when you um, captain for the first time. At 22, you actually won the T20 World Cup under your leadership. What did that then do for your confidence and for your leadership?
1: Yeah, it was obviously a big confidence booster. We had an amazing team. Uh, that probably helped. Uh, we had a, yeah some some players who had been involved in World Cups previously had some good experience and um, they sort of helped me, me through, I guess. Uh, but to be able to lead the team on the big stage and we had a, a really good game in the final against England. We actually smashed them, which... Uh, it was nice to put a big performance <laughs> on the, the big stage and I think that actually gave everyone a lot of confidence that, you know, we can put out our best game when, when we're under pressure the most. What was it like playing back then in those, in those early days in terms of the crowd, in
0: terms of the attention that you guys got?
1: Yeah, there wasn't really many people in the crowd apart from <laughs> family and friends. Uh, so that's obviously changed a little bit over time and, yeah, I guess we, we were a lot less... Professional, I guess you could call it. We weren't training as much. We, mm. we were sort of very much part-time and um, we tried our, our best and we, we still gave out some really good performances and we had some amazing players. So to be able now to, to train full-time and mm. uh, put a lot of time and effort into getting better as players and people, I think we've seen the, the change in the game over the last few years and how much of an impact that can have.
0: Because a lot of the female cricketers um, – had to work as well, full time, um, as well as being uh, representing Australia and, and trying to keep this, um, their, prof- their professional cricket dream alive. Did
1: you work? I know you studied, but did you work as well? I did a couple of shifts at Baker's Delight uh, <laughs> when I was uh, <laughs> towards the back end of high school uh, and just out of high school. Uh, that, that was mm-hmm. finished up when they put me on the 6am start shift you didn't and, like that? Uh, no, that was way too. <laughs> <early>. <laughs> so uh, did that you bake up the bread, or are you just front oh, of shop? shop? I just, I just front of shop. Yeah. and okay. Geez, it was very tempting. All the bread. Yeah. Oh, the yep. scrolls and the scones are oh, delicious. And that smell um, at six o'clock in the morning. Would yeah. Just be delicious. Yeah. Yeah. So I had to stop that pretty quick. Uh, <laughs> and then I went into yeah full time study and and part time cricket. I guess it was initially. Mm. That was good actually. It sort of kept me busy, you know, for a lot of the time and gave me something to think about the the study, which is important to have something away from cricket as well. So sort of one of the benefits, I guess, of being part-time as a, a cricketer initially is that you have to balance things and, and work out how to manage your time and things like that. Mm. So I think initially it's actually a good thing to, to have it that way.
0: What did you study and did you finish your degree?
1: Uh, I studied exercise health science and... It's a three-year course. It took me eight years to complete, but I have my certificate. I hey. have graduated. Nice. <laughs> Did you get to go to the ceremony or were you no, I was on tour. Of I was course. away. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah, it was always going to happen.
0: Um, take me back then to 2017. That was a really difficult year for you. Um, your team lost the semi-final of uh, the World Cup, a game that you were expected to win, but a shoulder injury then sidelined you for, was it eight months? What was that time like?
1: Yeah, it was a very challenging time. Mm. Uh, yeah, firstly, the, the World Cup where we went in with very high expectations mm-hmm. internally and externally and um, we played okay through the group stages and then we got blown off the park in the semifinal by India. Uh, so it was a pretty brutal sort of finish to the, the tournament uh, and I sort of had the shoulder injury through the World Cup as well. Uh, I pretty much wasn't training at all. I was just mm. literally playing in the games, and then, um, yeah, once we finished up at the World Cup, I had uh, shoulder surgery after that, and that meant I missed the Ashes tour, which was the next thing on the calendar for us, so I missed a little bit of cricket. The first mm. time I'd actually ever had to miss games of cricket, and that was a massive challenge for me. I found it quite difficult to be to be fair.
0: And it was a home Ashes as well, wasn't it?
1: It was, yeah. And because of the disappointment of the World Cup, the Ashes was like the next opportunity for us to mm. to start again, I guess. Um, and I wasn't part of that. So that sort of made it more difficult as well. Mm. So uh, I learned a lot through that period. I hated it at the time. Mm. I, I didn't enjoy it at all. But looking back, I think it's been a really good experience for me to have, just to see things from a slightly different perspective and and like I said before, view, you know, view it how others do uh, because I'd only sort of seen it through one lens, I guess, for, for a little while.
0: Tell me why you, you hated it.
1: Uh, I just didn't feel part of the team. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I guess being in the bubble for, for so long, you just mm. get used to being, being involved and being part of a group and, and touring and things like that. It's, it's a lot of fun and um, when you're not in the team... You, you don't get to be a part of that and you, you ask a lot of questions and you you look at them on the TV and they're having so much fun and enjoying it and it's like, <laughs> and it's, you know, you just want to be involved in it. So um, that was probably the hardest thing.
0: It's extraordinary, isn't it, because you were the captain for so long and then um, it's not like you were dropped or anything like that and you hadn't even been dropped from a side before then. No. Um, and then for you to feel like an outsider, that's, I find that really, really strange, but that's, people talk about that, don't they? Athletes that when they're they're on the sideline, they really feel like an outsider.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I had no idea what I was walking into. I remember I was at the the test match for the Ashes. I I went and joined up with the team for that little period of time. And uh, it was so awkward. I felt so awkward. Why? (laughs) Down Down in the change rooms, I felt like I was in the way. I felt like I was just like, I just shouldn't have been there. And I was mm. like, oh, my gosh, if I feel like that mm. as, like, the captain of the team, imagine what anyone else feels like or whether, you know, what a new player coming into the team feels like. Mm. So that was a real eye-opener for me. It it gave me a, a very different perspective and I felt like I could sort of empathise with a lot of other players in that respect because I'd actually experienced it now and knew what it mm. it felt like just to be on the outside a little bit. Uh, so, yeah, I think, you yeah, know, from that, angle. Um, I learnt a lot uh, even though at the at the time I, I didn't enjoy it at all. Do you now look at
0: people players who are injured and how do you act differently now?
1: Well I just feel like I can go and have a conversation with them and actually mm. just listen to their feelings and thoughts and I've got an understanding of what that feels like mm. uh, whereas in the past or before that sort of time I, I was probably a little bit too nervous to go and speak to people about it because I didn't want to say the wrong thing or mm. I didn't want to Make them feel worse, uh, because i had I had no concept of actually what it was like. Mm. Uh, and so I sort of avoided it, I think. Could you identify that they were feeling awkward or you just didn't didn't realize? Uh, I probably didn't realize. I mm. probably didn't even notice. and that um you know, looking back, it's probably not 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 great, but I just didn't know any anything else. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, so that's one of the the best things I think going through that experience is, now when you know, people are injured or dropped or not in the squad, I actually feel like I can go and have a conversation with them and mm. just talk to them a- about it. Um, it's not going to fix it, but, you know, <laughs> I, I know when I was injured, just someone coming up and having a conversation it was actually really helpful because mm. uh, you already feel sort of on the outside and then if people aren't talking to you, it's sort of... You overthink it, and you think it's yep. a lot worse than it is. But you're so conscious of
0: yeah. every body movement, really, where you're standing, yep. what you, how you're positioned, everything, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and when you're in the team, you don't even think twice about that. Like you <laughs> wouldn't even think about where you were sitting in the change room or where you were standing or anything mm. like that. But when you're just on the other side of it, you you second guess everything. So yeah, just sort of being able to help other people through that, I guess, and just asking a question, I think, is really important.
0: Did you pick anything up in that time that helped you deal with? Feeling like an outsider? Did you um, did you did you finish your degree in that time? Was that when that <laughs> happened, or uh, what, what got you through that that time? Considering you had never yeah. experienced being dropped or injured mm. up until that moment,
1: I actually did a little bit of coaching during that time mm-hmm. uh, of an under fifteen team, so that was a good experience. Again, just sort of viewing things differently. And under 15s yeah. girls. Yeah, under fifteen girls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was the cricket Australia eleven. Um, they were playing in an under eighteen competition, actually. So that was quite challenging for them, uh, to play in. You know, up in in an age group. Mm-hmm. So yeah, just to be able to work with them, I think they were a little bit scared of me for the first week. <laughs> <laughs> so having to work through that and uh, yeah, sort of get them to say that I'm actually just a normal person. I <laughs> don't need to be. You don't need to be scared of me. Uh, so working through that was actually an interesting experience in itself, and. And then just trying to, yeah, communicate really clearly with them uh, in a way that they understand. And um, I guess as a player, you you just do things most of the time. You don't actually think about how you're doing it or what you're mm. doing. So actually trying to work out how to communicate you know, was a good challenge. So I enjoyed that. Coaching. Is that something post-playing um, we could see Meg Lanning, Meg Lanning do? <laughs> Potentially. I'm not sure yet. I'm, I'm currently doing my level three coaching course. Ooh, um, cool. That's taking a bit longer than what it should as well. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure if I, I want to do it afterwards, mm. but I'm keeping my options open. I, I think, um, we're lucky in the position that we are to have access to some coaching courses and mm. things like that. And, uh, want to try and work out if I like it or don't like it before I have to come to, to that decision, I guess. But, uh, you know again, it's just a nice thing to have away from the playing side of things just to, to keep you busy.
0: You... Are in a really unique position in that you've you've really been able to see Australian um, women's cricket from, you know, I, I guess two sides before it was it was really revolutionised um, to how it is now, and have seen this massive shift in the way um, women's cricket has been embraced by both the public and by our own organisation as well. Can you just? Take me back into that shift. What was it like in those early days? What's been the biggest change that you've seen for women's women's cricket?
1: I think the biggest change has been the pathways that have been introduced and the opportunities that young girls have to get involved in the game now. Uh, you know, me growing up, only had, like, I had to play with the boys. If I didn't play with the boys, I wouldn't have been able to play. Mm. Whereas now you can play in girls' teams. You can play in boys' teams, mixed teams. Like a lot of those barriers that were there... 10, 15 years ago have have been removed and, mm. and that's only a good thing. And, yeah, we've seen with the participation and um, attendances at games, things like that, like there's so many more people who are involved in women's cricket and, and love the opportunity to play. So that that's a really important part of it as well. Uh, there's a lot more time, effort, uh, investment in, in the game and I think we've seen from you know, our Australian team in terms of the athleticism, mm. you know, how we've been able to improve our skills with the, with the extra time and ability to to put full-time effort into getting better, uh, you know, I think we've really developed very quickly in, the, in that space. And the other thing, you know, the last thing probably is this it hasn't happened like overnight. It's actually been a, mm. a really gradual improvement and there's been a lot of time put into it over... An extended period, um, and and that's why I think we're starting to reap the benefits of it now. Is because we built a really good base mm. and started probably small and Big Bash was very small when we started, and and it's evolving slowly. And I think that that's really allowed us to um, experience what we have over the last few years. How much of that change came down to your success? Did you feel pressure
0: um, as a team to be successful in order to get that coverage, to get that attention? to get that um, interest from the fans and especially from from the media? You know, I will always report in the media on the men's cricket, but for a long time they would only report on women's cricket if you were successful. Did you mm. feel that added pressure as well?
1: Probably wasn't something we spoke about. I think it helped that we were very successful. I think mm-hmm. Australians love winners in, in general, mm-hmm. no matter w- what it is. So that definitely helped us, I, I think. Uh, but, you know... What I will say is that the expectations internally from us as as players are always high and have always been mm-hmm. high. And even when we weren't uh, professional as such, we always wanted to be the best and we always wanted to win. So that hasn't really changed too much. So, um, yeah, I guess you don't want to rely too much on, on external um, motivators, I guess, mm-hmm. because, yeah, otherwise you can sort of get into trouble a little bit. So we always wanted to do as well as we could and we were lucky through that period. We had a, a great team and um, people were able to take notice of our wins. Did you get frustrated when you would win and maybe it it wasn't
0: reported or you didn't get that that attention? Was that was that frustrating during those early years?
1: Uh, not really. It wasn't something I thought too much about, but I've have noticed that every World Cup that we've won, there's been more attention and more interest. Mm. It's grown every time uh, mm. by a massive amount. Like when we won in Bangladesh, twenty fourteen, uh, there was probably very minimal coverage. Mm. Uh, but you know, since then, um, you know, you sort of go forward to. So the most recent one, even the one in twenty eighteen, the West Indies, like it was, it was a massive change, and you could really notice it.
0: The participation rate for young girls, off the back of that win in twenty fourteen, and in the lead up to that, it was astronomical, like nine hundred percent increase in in the number of little girls taking up cricket. When after that win, so I guess in terms of people who say, um, who might doubt women's cricket and why, um, in those early days, did doubt it and the money that it could make for the organisation. You saw that in the participation rates of of young girls, and that's awesome for the game.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and we play a, an important role, I guess, in that is, you know, in allowing young girls to see where they can get to and, um, you know, being role models for them. And, and it's an important role that we play, and we enjoy doing it. Uh, we want to set a really good example and Show young girls out there what's possible, uh, and that just comes with the the territory, I guess. But you, you you know, when we go to clinics or anything like that, the group's fully invested in in trying to you know put into it as much as we can and inspire the next generation because we're we're lucky to be in the position that we are, and if we can have a small impact on it, that's that's really cool. And um, you know, there's a lot of work going on behind the scenes to to give people those opportunities, so it's great to see. One of the other big changes from when you first started would be in terms
0: of uh, social media. There wasn't much social media going on <laughs> when you first started. Um, you're a really private person, aren't you? Mm. Why is it that we <laughs> don't know much about Meg Lanning away from the cricket field?
1: Uh, I don't know. I just sort of don't really feel like putting too much out there. <laughs> it's sort of my business and not really anyone anyone else's, which might sound a little bit harsh, but... Uh, Yeah. I mean, some of the time I just don't really feel like other people will find interesting what I'm doing. I'm just happy to go with the flow and do whatever. But uh, yeah, I mean, I've tried over the years to be a little bit more out there and give a little bit more of myself. But I think I said earlier that sort of takes me a while to warm to people, I guess, (laughs) and trust them. And and then I sort of come out of my shell a little bit. and, And that's probably what you see on social media is a... I just sort of yeah keep to myself most of the time. Is that challenging for
0: you? Um, given I guess in this new age of of social media, a new age of of women's sport, people do have a deeper interest in who Meg mm. Meg Lanning is. Is that is that been like a bit of a transition <laughs> for you?
1: Yeah, it has a little bit. Uh, and yeah, trying to get the the balance right because you you know you want to be authentic and be yourself, and that's what sort of resonates mm. with people. So. You know, I don't want to force myself to do something that's not really me. But at the same time, people want to, people want to find out who the real Meg mm. Gladding is. So you've got to try and get that balance, I guess, of giving just enough that, that people feel like they're part of it. But, you know, me also feeling that I'm still being myself and authentic. So I'm probably still battling with that a little bit, trying to find the <laughs> happy medium. I, I still, I try to, I say to myself, I've got to post on Instagram once a month. <laughs> um, it's not very much and I no. think I've gone a couple of months without posting already so <laughs> I need to up that. And I guess as well,
0: like you're, you've been captain for so long and you've been captain through this transition. Is that challenging then to be captain in a time of social media, where there's different interest in in you personally, but also a lot more scrutiny in in the way that women's cricket is approached by by the media, by the public now as well. And and you're leading, like you're the leader of of that. Has that been a challenge?
1: Yeah, it has. And and you've got to make sure that you're switched on all the time. And uh, you know, anything you, you sort of say at different different points can be taken in a few different ways. Mm. So you've just got to make sure that the message that you're trying to get across is you know, is the right one and, and and it gets sort of communicated the way you want it to. And uh, I guess, yeah, having done a little bit of media and things like that over time, you, you get used to it a little bit on, on how to do that. Uh, but, you know, certainly over the last year or so and that, that World Cup that we just played recently, the, the scrutiny was nothing like we'd ever experienced before. And uh, I know, you know, we've sort of been saying for a little while that you know, the stories would mainly be focused on really positive things and only the good things and mm. probably hadn't made the step to being critically analysed mm. um, on things that maybe we weren't doing as well or when we, we didn't win and I think we're sort of at that stage now where that's happening and mm. I think that's actually a really good thing because it means people are invested in it, they're interested and they want to see us do well and I think um, that's been a, a massive shift. So the fact that people are willing to ask questions and and say, you know, why did this happen you know, stuff like that, I think that's actually a really good thing for the sport because it just shows there's Mm. a lot more people who, um, yeah, are are interested in in what we're doing.
0: Well, let's go there, the World Cup. can't wait. Um, Did you feel that that pressure for so long? I felt like we were talking the final for so long before you'd even played a match. We were talking about the final and you weren't even (laughs) there yet. Did you feel that pressure leading into the tournament?
1: Yeah, I think we did. Uh, and, yeah, you know, initially when they said 90,000 people at the G, I was like, I'm not really sure that that's possible. <laughs> Is that right? You didn't I think it? I was a it. little bit sceptical initially. And, and 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 it was sort of like, well, we need to be there. Like Australia needs to be there to, to try and make that happen. Mm. And, of course, we were heading into that World Cup wanting to, to be in the final. Like mm. that's, that's everyone's aim, heading into it. So it didn't really change our expectations. But just the talk about it, just the amount of questions, every press conference we did... Mm final 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 and it was just a bit like hang on a second like we're not in the final yet. (laughs) like we need to get firstly get through the group stage and the semi and then we can talk about it but Mm. everybody just wanted to talk about it and I like I find that really hard because as an athlete like you can't get ahead of yourself the moment you you start thinking too Mm. far forward it it all unravels really quickly so you had to be sort of really mindful of what you said and how you thought about it uh and, yeah, it just happened so often. It was just all that was talked about. So when, once we got to the final we were in it, I was so relieved. I was like, okay, now we can talk about the final because <laughs> we're finally there. But, oh, yeah, it was, it was intense. Like, there was just so much chat about it. And, like, it was good because it was good press for the game. Like, mm. you know, people wanted it to be successful, 90,000 people. Like, yeah, like, it's great. But we sort of had to, yeah, sort of get through that little bit.
0: Um, all right. Well, then game one against India in Sydney you guys don't win, and that kind of sets you back a little bit. How much of a shock was that? A shock, and and how did you feel after that that first game, given that lead up you just described?
1: It wasn't a shock because India are a really good team, mm-hmm. and we'd played them in a tri series heading into the World Cup, so we we knew what we were coming up against. Uh, they had many match winners, uh, and in T Twenty cricket, that's what makes you nervous as mm-hmm. an opposition is when teams can take the game away from you really quick and. Yeah, we we did all right in the first innings, but with the bat, it was a disaster. Really, mm. we we pretty much did everything that we talked about not doing, not doing, <laughs> especially against uh, Poonam, the spinner, who got uh, most mm. of us out. I think we just we got a little bit nervous, probably. I th- I think it's the sort of stage got to us a bit, and we we were indecisive and and didn't play the way that we wanted to, uh, especially with the bat. So yeah, that was a bit. It was a bit deflating, to be honest. After the game in the rooms, we were very quiet. It was, if we took it really hard because we, yeah, we, we were probably a little bit startled in, in the way that we played, especially with the bats. So we had to pick ourselves up pretty quick and um, sort it out because uh, in World Cups, it's pretty cutthroat.
0: Um, were there moments when you genuinely were concerned? Okay, this may not happen. We may not get to that final.
1: Yeah, and even in the second game against Sri Lanka, mm. it was still a little bit all wrong. It mm. just didn't feel right. We did well again with the ball, but then we were three for nothing with the bat. And geez, that was knife edge sort of stuff. <laughs> I was glad I was out there actually, so I could do something about it. I, yeah. I think if I was watching, it would have been a lot worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I felt reasonably comfortable after we sort of settled down a little bit with Rachel, we would be fine. Uh, but yeah, even after that game, it was just a bit like, okay, like what's happening? Like mm. we need to sort our stuff out here, or if we keep going the way we are, it's not going to happen. Mm. Uh, and after that game, we actually had a pretty good chat about things and what was happening and why why we weren't really playing how we wanted to and especially as a batting group um, because that was the area that we felt like was probably lacking the most. Mm. Yeah, and it, it actually just came down to our attitude and, and approach to it. Our, our game plan was good. We looked at our game plan, but we were happy with it. We felt like that was good. It was just that we weren't executing it and weren't really backing ourselves in to, to take it on. So... Yeah, after that second game heading into the third game, we we had Bangladesh in the third game Mm -hmm. who we hadn't played before um, and, you know, that actually gave us a really good opportunity to just worry about what we were doing. Mm -hmm. And uh, once we got going in that game, we were fine from Mm. then on. I was a lot more confident after that.
0: But then let's just fast forward to that semi-final on the Thursday before Mm. the final. In the morning, what was your reaction? Because it was just rain, rain, Mm. rain, 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 rain. Radar was like rain everywhere. What went
1: through your mind that day? Yeah, we were very nervous. Even heading into that day, it, the, all the talk was about the rain and how much rain was coming. Like it wasn't just rain, like it was like proper mm. whole day sort of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> like it wasn't like oh we might be alright, we might not be. Like it was You've like we're in no trouble break here at all <laughs> on the radar. Uh, yeah, and so it poured the whole day. I remember in, being in my hotel room just looking out and it was just pouring with rain. We um, were on the bus on the way to the ground. It was pouring with rain. Mm. The game before us got called off. And there was no backup. There was no contingency. Like no, it had, no. If it didn't
0: play then, you were second in your pool and you were going to miss out on the final. South Africa was going to get through.
1: Yep, correct. So it was, uh, yeah, we were all holding our breath, very nervous heading there. And I don't know what happened. We were very <laughs> We were very lucky. Uh, yeah, someone was helping us out, I think, uh, and somehow we got on and I remember we were out on the ground warming up and it was still raining, uh, but we obviously were very keen to get out there, so we were warming up and South Africa was still in their change rooms, nowhere to be seen. <laughs> and we were like, yeah, it's fine, we can play in this, like it's totally fine. We were all very keen and then somehow it, yeah, we got however many overs in we needed to. It was incredible, the whole thing. like A sporting miracle even yeah, got absolutely. on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, we were very lucky. You move on to the
0: MCG, almost 90,000, a record crowd. What was that moment like to be in the MCG and to see that many people and to hear that kind of sound and play?
1: Yeah, it was amazing. Uh, I remember rocking up to the ground and we were pretty early because it, the Katy Perry entertainment before the game, we actually weren't allowed on the ground for like an hour before the game or something. So that was mm. like an added difference that we weren't really used to. So we got to the ground pretty early uh, and when we sort of walked out from the change rooms, there were already people in there. Like this was sort of two and a half hours before the game and looked up and there was like people in the crowd, like right at the back, like in the rows, right at the back up the top. And I was like, okay, this is going to be something pretty big. Like and yeah. people are sitting in those rows, you know, it's going to fill up pretty quick and... <laughs> Yeah, it was just a great atmosphere and, yeah, I just remember, like, looking at everyone in the team and you could just tell, like, we were ready to embrace it and mm. and really have fun and enjoy it. Uh, we weren't scared about what we were heading into at all and we, it was just a really good feeling within the group. I, I don't know what it was, but we were just ready to go. It's almost like we'd done all the hard work heading into the, the final and now we could just enjoy it and, and um, see what happened.
0: What was that moment like when you had one with everything that you've just told us about the lead up to that final and not even knowing if you would get there, um, having talked about it for so long? And then for that moment to happen, what was that moment like?
1: Yeah, it was amazing. Uh when Ash Gardner took that catch in the roar of the, the crowd. Uh yeah, something I'll I'll never forget to be honest. It was so loud. Uh, and even in the the lead up to the, the finish, you know, we had it sort of wrapped up a little bit earlier, you know, before the end of the game and the Mexican wave. And at one point everyone had their iPhone lights on and we're doing these ones and me, (laughs) Rach and Ash Gardner were just looking around going, what is going on here? And yeah, it was just, it was amazing to be a part of it. It couldn't have gone any better, to be honest. It just was one of those days where everything clicked for us Mm. and, and, yeah, I guess just to be able to put out such a good performance uh, as a team on a really big stage and, and create a really good spectacle for everyone, that's something that I'm really proud of for, for the group because, you know, sometimes when you get big moments, you can step back and and not really, you know, give your best performance, but we were able to play as well as we have for, for a, few, a few years and um, that's pretty impressive. You say, you said before that you don't cry that much. Um, <laughs> I cried before the match, I cried
0: after the match yeah. I wasn't even there right there and playing it. What was that like for you? Did you have
1: tears? Did we have a Meg Lenning tear? <laughs> there are a few directly after the game, I think, when we were hugging everyone and, and celebrating, I guess, with the, the coaches and the players and things like that. Uh, so yeah, that was that was pretty cool. Those moments, you know, straight after the game when you're you're still on a high end, uh, just sort of taking it all in they're, they're the ones you remember. What was the uh, what were the celebrations like? Take us, take us there. It's <laughs> actually nothing too uh, entertaining, to be fair. We actually just stayed at the ground until like four am. Wow. would have been hard to leave after well, we didn't really that. want to. we yeah. didn't really want to. So it was a Sunday night. I'm not sure what was open in Melbourne anyway to to go out and about. so, uh, yeah, we stayed in the rooms. There were a lot of family and friends in the rooms. Actually, it was mm. it was packed. Like mm. the change room was full to the brim with supporters, and that was really cool. And everybody was just there chatting for hours and hours. Uh, and then eventually, once everyone had left, all the players and stuff, we went out to the middle of the ground and sat in a circle and chatted, and I suppose just looked back on what had happened. And and that's really cool. We got some nice photos of of the group out there on the ground with the cup. So. Yeah, it was, it was a really good celebration actually to be able to do it with family and friends mm. and, and those who have been there through the ups and downs and, and things like that. Uh, you know, I guess that's the, the good thing about a, a Home World Cup is you can have so many people there to cheer you on. Um, we finish off every
0: podcast by asking our guests what advice you would give to your 10-year-old self. So if you could look back on that shy little <laughs> Meg Lanning, what would you tell her? Uh,
1: I would say to ask more questions. So uh, like I was... Really shy, and I was lucky enough when I was young to meet uh, some amazing athletes and and people who I you know would probably consider to be heroes and role models and and I was always too shy to ask anything or, or talk to them. Uh, but when people go and and chat to kids and and clinics and things like that, like we love it when people ask questions and want to know what we do and how it happens. And, yeah, I just wish looking back that I was brave enough to ask a few more questions and and learn a bit more because, Uh, No doubt I had them, but I was too shy to to speak up. So uh, that would be my advice because, yeah, whenever I go to a clinic or anything like that, I want people to ask me questions. So that would be it.
0: You're an absolute legend, Meg. Thank you for sharing your story with On Her Game.
1: No worries. Thank you.
0: On Her Game was presented by me, Sam Squires, producer, Lindsay Green, audio producer, Darcy Thompson, executive producer, Jennifer Goggin.